Question one, Dr. Jamie Wolf. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the whole House will want to pay tribute to the police and all of the emergency services for their brave response to the terrorist incident in Streatham on Sunday. This appalling incident makes plain the case for immediate action, and we will shortly introduce emergency legislation to make sure that we do everything to protect the public. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dr Jeremy Wallace. Mr Speaker, on behalf of my constituents in Bridgend, may I warmly congratulate the Prime Minister for delivering on the promise made to the British people that we will leave the European Union. Will he reassure my constituents that now that we are taking back control of our money, our borders and our laws, that every effort will be made to bring jobs and investment to areas such as Bridgend that feel left behind? Mr Speaker, I can give him that assurance and I can uh, tell him that with uh, better education, better infrastructure and high technology, we will unite and level up this country and deliver as he is doing for the people of Bridgend. Leader of the Opposition, Right Honourable Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, we were all appalled by the terror attack in Streatham on Sunday and I want to join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the bravery and dedication of the police, security services and all the other emergency response staff in the way in which they dealt with what was a terrifying and terrible situation. Last Friday this country left the European Union, Britain's place in the world... Britain's place in the world is at a crossroads, and whilst there are different views across this country, we will be holding this government to account as the negotiations begin. But my hope, <coughs> my hope is that we now truly come together to shape our common future and build an internationalist, diverse and outward-looking country. Indeed, we'll get an opportunity to do that when Britain hosts the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, later this year. Despite the fact that we are the 11th hour to save the planet, the former Tory minister and now ex-president of COP26, Claire O'Neill, said, and I quote, there has been a huge lack of leadership and engagement from this government. What on earth did she mean? Mr Speaker, I think if you look at what this government is achieving and ha- already has achieved on climate change, it is quite phenomenal. And he will know, uh, Mr Speaker, that last year was the first year on record that renewables produced more of the energy of this country than fossil fuels. Uh, he will know that since this government came to power, since this government came to power in 2010, 99% of all the solar panels that have achieved that miracle were installed under this government. Uh, we are delivering for the people of this country. We are reducing greenhouse gas. All he would produce, I'm afraid, is a load of hot air. Mr Speaker, the problem is the government's own figures show that it's missing the carbon budget, let alone by 2050. It will be 2099 before this country meets net zero. And we discovered this morning that two former Conservative leaders have also turned down the job formally done by his minister. Maybe it could be third time lucky. Perhaps we could make a joint approach to the member for Chingford and Woodford Green. Perhaps he would like to take on that job. He's over here and in the chamber already for it. 
His own former Tory minister said we should have clear actions, an agreed plan and a roadmap for the year of action. But we do not. So why is the Prime Minister failing so spectacularly to measure up to the scale of the climate crisis that this country and indeed this planet is facing? Um, Mr. Speaker, this is beyond satire. The, this is the, this is the, this is the, this government. This is the first country, the first major economy in the world, in the world, to have set a target of carbon neutral by 2050. It's an absolutely fantastic thing. We are leading the world in our ambitions, and we will have a wonderful, a wonderful summit in Glasgow, one of the most fantastic cities in our country, at the end of the year. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, this country isn't meeting its target, and it isn't due to meet its target, and I think the Prime Minister should recognise that. Even the Paris targets are not enough. The UN says we have just a decade to change course if we want to avert a climate catastrophe. So let's look at something else his ex-minister said. The Prime Minister promised to lead from the front and guaranteed there would be money and people. But these promises are not close to being met. What on earth could she have been talking about? Mr Speaker, as, as so often, I'm not entirely sure what the Right Honourable Gentleman is talking about. Uh, because uh, because if, you look at, if you look at what this government has actually delivered, if you look at what our Conservative policies of backing green tech, of backing innovation, of supporting a dynamic market economy, which is the solution to these problems, we have cut CO2 emissions in this country since 2010 on 1990 levels by 42%. 42%. That is an astonishing achievement. And at the same time, and at the same time, the economy has grown by 73%. Thanks to free market, dynamic, one nation conservatism. That is our approach. What's his? His former minister said, my advice to... Well, you might not like it, but I'm going to read it. My advice to anyone to whom the Prime Minister is making promises, whether it's voters, world leaders, ministers, employees or family members, is get it in writing, get a lawyer to look at it and make sure the money's in the bank. Not my words, hers. The Prime Minister's failure in government means this country won't meet, it won't meet its net zero target until 2099. This government has banned offshore wind and his government is funding billions, billions on fossil, billions on fossil fuel projects abroad. Is this what his minister means by the absence of leadership? Mr Speaker, I think the grotesque failure of the Leader of the Opposition to understand what is happening in this country's economy, uh, let alone in uh, the fight against climate change, is quite mind-boggling. I, I can inform him today that this country is leading, is leading in not just producing the technology to generate offshore wind, but the northeast of this country leads the world, leads the world in producing, in producing and designing those fantastic turbines. And it's because of that technological innovation that we are able that we are able massively to expand our renewables and I can tell you I think I think you, I think you may know this that in 1990 this country was 70 percent dependent on coal power we are now today uh, and by the way he'd want to reopen the coal mines uh, 
today, today we are down to 3%, uh, Mr. Speaker, and by 2024 it will be zero. That's our plan. What's his? It was, a, it was the Labour Party that proposed the climate change emergency motion to this House on May the 1st. And the Prime Minister is quoting things that happened in 1990 and afterwards. During that time, of course, he was a climate sceptic who didn't say anything about this at all. Poor leadership is nothing new to this Prime Minister. When he was Foreign Secretary, he cut the number of climate, climate attaches across the world by 60% in our em embassies and reportedly said, oh, you're not going to spill this out to the media, are you, to his staff? Considering his monumental failure in advance of COP26, isn't it really just a continuation of his climate change denial statements that he was regularly making up until 2015? Mr Speaker, the Honourable Gentleman is, is talking absolutely nonsense. This, this Government is delivering a fantastic agenda in tackling climate change. Uh, we lead the world in going uh, for a zero carbon approach. Uh, his own approach is utterly, utterly unclear and has indeed been condemned uh, by the, the GMB as uh, a disaster for the UK economy that would force people to confiscate, he would confiscate people's cars and prevent them from having foreign holidays. We have a plan that will allow the UK economy to continue to grow, that will create jobs and tackle climate change. Jeremy Corbyn. really do admire the Prime Minister's very vivid imagination. But unfortunately, his vivid imagination seems to have taken over from his memory, because he might recall saying that climate change is a primitive fear without foundation. The Prime Minister of Bangladesh said, any consequence of failure to deliver a climate action plan must fall equally on every country. The cost of our inaction is devastating to every living person. But our Prime Minister is failing on the biggest stage on the most important issue of our time. And now his former, his former Minister has described preparations in Whitehall as Whitehall not tying infighting and obfuscation, petty political squabbles and black, black ops briefings. No wonder the Prime Minister is shutting newspapers out of number 10 because he doesn't like the briefings. When will he, when will he face up to the climate emergency and take the action necessary to turn Glasgow into the turning point when this world will stop the levels of pollution and climate change we're having and go forward and go forward and go forward to a sustainable future because his government's policies simply don't take us there. Mr Speaker, this government is showing world leadership in tackling climate change and we're going to have a fantastic summit uh, at Glasgow and I look forward very much to it. Now, Mr Speaker, he mentions, uh, he mentions the, the media. Uh, they did an inquest, uh, uh, finally, about what happened in the general election and they, they discovered in the Labour Party that it wasn't the leadership that was at fault. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't Brexit. It was the media. They blame the media uh, for, for what happened. I don't. I, Mr Speaker, I don't blame them. I am a journalist. I love journalism. Uh, and, I, I, uh, and I think the people... The people of this country, Mr Speaker, don't blame the media. They can see the media do their best, their best to represent the reality. And the reality is this is a government that is getting on with delivering 40 new hospitals, 20,000 more police, tackling climate change, £30,000 starting salaries for every teacher in the country. It's not about the presentation of the facts, Mr Speaker. It's about the reality. And he can't cope with the reality.
for Broxstow. I'm absolutely yeah, yeah. delighted that funding is starting to flow to rebuild hospitals, such yeah. as the £5 million seed funding going to Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this Conservative government is committed to fulfilling its manifesto pledges yes. and will, will deliver for the NHS? Yes. Mr Speaker, I, indeed I do agree passionately with my honourable friend and I congratulate him on all he's done to campaign for the redevelopment of Queen's Medical Centre and Nottingham uh, City Hospital and of course I'm proud that that money is now flowing through to those wonderful projects. Ian Blackford. Thank you Mr Speaker. Can I add my grateful thanks to the police and emergency services that had to react to the dreadful terrorist incident in Streatham? Mr Speaker, in the first few days of Brexit Britain, this Prime Minister has sacked an official, taken an isolationist approach to trade and banned the press from a Downing Street briefing. Is he intentionally trying to impersonate Donald Trump? Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I really I don't think anybody Anybody listening to my speech, I think it was on Monday, could have uh, mistaken it for anything but the most passionate, internationalist, globalist, open, outward-looking approach. Uh, there is only one party in this country that has nationalists in their name, Mr. Speaker. That's them. That's them. They would break up the most. They would break up. That's them. They would break up the most successful political partnership of the last 300 years. He should. He and his party should concentrate on the day job and doing a better job for the people of Scotland. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister doesn't even know the name of our party. The, the Prime Minister is on a dangerous trajectory. Is it any wonder? that poll after poll shows majority support for Scottish independence. Mr Speaker, our former US ambassador has made clear the threat of a Tory-Trump trade deal, warning that drug prices could soar. This would see increased pressure on our frontline services. It is clearer than ever that this government, this Prime Minister, is a threat to our NHS. Mr Speaker, this afternoon the SNP will present our NHS Protection Bill to remove the very real threat of Tory privatisation. Will the Prime Minister commit right now to supporting our legislation? Mr Speaker, I think it's very odd that he should uh, denounce this country's uh, wish to have trade deals around the world, when, as I understand it, their proposal uh, is to try to rejoin the European Union, uh, to, therefore, and to have a, 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 have a, have a, a different currency whose name uh, they have yet to identify. Perhaps they, perhaps they can elucidate uh, the House. To have, a, to have a border at Berwick, and, to, and, and what, just after this country has taken back control of it, its outstanding marine wealth, to hand it back to Brussels. That's, that's their policy. I really think, Mr Speaker, they should concentrate on doing a better job for the people of Scotland. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. A strong society needs strong families, as our manifesto rightly said. And it went on to say that we will champion family hubs to serve vulnerable families. Will the Prime Minister prioritise family hubs 
and ensure that family hubs are linked to our early years strategy, to the Troubled Families programme and to children's services reform. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I thank you, my honourable friend. That's why we've given another £165 million to extend the Troubled Families programme uh, this year. Matt Weston. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, in the past 10 years, violent crime has risen 152% across the towns of Warwickshire. In the past two weeks in my constituency, two people have been killed in two separate events and others remain seriously ill or injured. The Government has promised to reinstate 20,000 police officers, but isn't it the simple truth that it is now our residents, through hikes in council tax of 12% last year, 6% this year, that are picking up the whole bill for the old bill, and that it's the party opposite is no longer the party of law and order, but the party of fear and disorder. Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, to, to be fair to the Honourable Jeremy, he's making an important point about violent crime. And I, I, I share his anger, and uh, that's why we're putting 20,000 more police on the streets of our country. And that's above all why we are now tackling the county lines drugs gangs that are behind so much of this rise in violent crime. We will get that crime down. Let me agree. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister is conscious of the very widespread uh, concern uh, in this House about the plans to involve Huawei in 5G networks, concern that will only be increased by the news this week that France is building a new 5G network without the involvement of Huawei, following the lead of Australia. If they can do it, we could do it. Can my right honourable friend confirm that it's the... Can he confirm that he wants to reduce Huawei's involvement over time, and can he give a timescale as to when that involvement will hit zero? Uh, well, he's certainly right, Mr Speaker, that we are going to be reducing the involvement of, of Huawei below the 35% market cap, but he's also right in his general vision. Uh, which is one I entirely share. What has happened is, I'm afraid, a failure of, of like-minded countries to produce an alternative to the 5G network, except that provided by, by high-risk vendors. And that is why we are now doubling the science budget, and we will be working uh, with uh, the, some of the countries that he mentions in order to produce exactly that diversification in the market. Oh, well, Thank you, Mr yeah. Speaker. In November last year, the Personal Independence Payment Assessment Centre in my constituency was moved to Hill. No notice has ever been given of this change. Uh, the next bus from Carnarvon to Hill uh, takes uh, one hour 44 minutes. Or in a case in point, in my right honourable friend's constituency, the bus from Barmouth to Hill takes five hours 15 minutes. Mr Speaker, this is the reality in the Prime Minister's soar away global Britain. Will he instruct his minister to remedy this matter immediately? Well, actually, I thank the honourable gentleman for the point he raises. But I, think, I think that uh, we do need to improve our bus services across the whole country, and that's why we're investing another £250 million immediately into improving bus services. And my right honourable friend, the uh, Chancellor, uh, has many more uh, such investments in the pipeline. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, sometimes we are the train, sometimes we are the track, and just last week we've taken control back. And does the Prime Minister agree with me that now is the time for us to be the track for a Metrolink between Manchester and Bolton? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker, and that's why uh, we have given the combined, we've given the combined thanks partly to his urgings, to his campaign. 
We have given the combined mayoral authority in Bolton £300 million under the Transforming Cities deal, plus a share of the £4.2 billion local public transport fund. We have given them the tools. Let us hope that they follow his urgings and build the Metrolink that he wants. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last Friday I visited a school in my constituency and in 2020 the state of the school buildings was Dickensian. Leaking roofs, rusty shower rooms, mouldy changing areas. When will this government understand that the cost of education is high but it is a worthy investment in the future of our schools? Whether a child is a whiz kid, whether a child is needy, every child deserves to be at school in an excellent and inspiring school building. Yeah. Mr Speaker, that is exactly why this government is investing £14 billion, a record £14 billion more in education, uh, raising funding for primary schools to £4,000 pounds uh, per head and uh, 5,000 uh, for every secondary school in the country. And we can only do that, Mr Speaker, because we are running a strong and dynamic market economy, and that is what we're going to do. Denson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. To help genuinely spread opportunity across our country, can I encourage my right honourable friend to have a pre-budget chat with his Chancellor about extending the Government's welcome plans to reduce national insurance contributions for employers of ex-service personnel to other groups who find it difficult to get a good job, including care leavers, ex-offenders, those with a disability and the long-term unemployed. Yes, Mr Speaker, I I thank him and his family for everything that they do to encourage ex-offenders into work. I will indeed take up that suggestion with my right honourable friend, the Chancellor. And we cut taxes on working people. We cut national insurance, uh, Mr Speaker. They would hike taxes and keep people in welfare. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's been two years since the Windrush scandal exposed the wrongful detention and deportation of Commonwealth citizens. While we wait for the much-delayed publication of the Lessons Learned review, the Government plans to deport 50 people, 50 people to Jamaica by charter flight next week. Will the, will the Prime Minister immediately suspend the flight until the Lessons Learned review is published and the recommendations implemented? Mr Speaker, I think the whole House will understand that the people of this country will think it right to send back foreign national offenders. Terrorist incident last week reminds us that the rule of law remains a fundamental foundation of our democratic constitution. But the explosion of judicial review and judicial activism have led to a censoriousness and litigiousness in our society and distorted questions which ought to remain exclusively political. How will my right honourable friend ensure that Parliament remains the sovereign and legitimate source of law as we take back control? Uh, well, my, my honourable friend is a, a distinguished lawyer and she, she is right to stick up for the immense value of our legal system. Uh, we must protect judicial review. It is a vital part of our system, but we should also ensure that it is not abused, Mr Speaker, to conduct politics by other means or to create needless delay. Thank you, Mr Speaker. For many years, Bedford has been promised a new inpatient mental health facility, especially since provision at Bellowing was closed in 2017, yet patients are still travelling 20 miles to access services. 
Will the Prime Minister explain how this demonstrates the parity of esteem in mental health care that his party promised in 2012? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, we're putting record investment into uh, the NHS, 33.9 billion, and a total of 12 billion are now going into mental health care. That is a record sum. David. I'd like to follow on the, my right hon. Friend for Ashford's uh, question on Huawei. The Australian agencies analysed the involvement of any, any element of Huawei in their, in their 5G system and determined that any involvement would lead to a major risk of both sabotage and uh, espionage. Can he give an undertaking that this country will lead the Five Eyes and NATO to create an alternative to Huawei in the next two years? Uh, yes, Mr. Mr. Speaker. Uh, we, of course, will do nothing to uh, endanger either our critical national security infrastructure uh, or to prejudice cooperation with Five Eyes partners, as, as, as he's uh, rightly suggested. And uh, we will work to ensure that uh, high-risk vendors uh, cannot uh, dominate our market. Alex Davis, sir. Deal, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will know that under his government there has been a mass shortage of consultants across the UK, leading to a strain on our A&E services. How is he going to make sure, especially now that we have left the EU, that consultants from overseas are encouraged to apply for NHS visas to work in hospitals across the UK? Mr Speaker, of course we have instituted NHS visas in order to attract talent from around the world, but I would remind her that I think she speaks for a Welsh seat, uh, that that is a devolved matter for the Welsh Labour government. The Prime Minister has rightly put keeping our country safe in the NHS the heart of this government's plans. Will he support my campaign for two new GP surgeries in my beautiful market towns of Oakham and Melton? And can I remind him that he's always welcome if he's in search of a pork pie, Rutland Bitter or Stilton? That was rude. I think, I think that was disappointing. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the answer, short answer is yes and yes. <laughs> Last week it was revealed that my constituent Errol Graham starved to death just months after the DUP stopped his benefits. His emaciated body was only discovered when bailiffs broke down his front door to evict him. The first priority of government is to keep its citizens safe. Yeah. How many more vulnerable benefit claimants will have to die before his government starts to value their lives? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, this is a, a tragic case and she is right to, to raise it. We've, uh, we've allocated uh, £36 million to improve safeguarding and decision-making in cases like this, including the creation of a new independent serious case panel so that we can scrutinise and learn lessons uh, from tragic cases like this, as well as improving guidance uh, for staff involved. Bernard Jenkins. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Will my right honourable friend uh, join with me and on behalf of the whole House extend our sympathy and best wishes to those who were injured in the Streatham attack last week? Um, may I welcome his intention to legislate as a consequence of this attack? And will he agree that her Majesty's Government really has now no option but to legislate to try and contain the threat of ex-terrorist offenders where they still pose a threat to yeah, our country. Yes, yeah. 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 I, I think, Mr Speaker, that my right honourable friend is entirely right and I think that uh, most of the people in this country would agree that the system of automatic early release of 
terrorist offenders has, has run out of road and it's time to find a way, as we are, to make sure that they are properly scrutinised uh, by a parole board or by an equivalent. Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thanks to the tireless work of my predecessor, the late great Paul Flynn, and my honourable friend, the member for Gower, and the families of children with intractable epilepsy, medical cannabis is now legal in the UK. So can the Prime Minister answer calls from the families of very sick children who need medical cannabis when this medicine will actually be available in the NHS? And will he come to Portcullis House with me after this session to meet these families and to personally assure them that he will do all he can to help? Well, um, Mr Speaker, it was this government and uh, my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary, who did legalise uh, medicinal cannabis, uh, cannabis and uh, I can undertake that uh, he will certainly be happy to meet uh, your constituents this afternoon. Alexandra Stafford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Buses are a vital lifeline for residents in Northern Valley, but too often first buses are letting down the people of South Yorkshire. Will the Prime Minister confirm that this government fully backs buses as an essential way not only to connect our villages, towns and cities across the north, but also to unlock the potential of Rother Valley and South Yorkshire. Mr Speaker, this government as a whole is absolutely passionate about uh, buses and uh, I I can assure him that we are massively going to improve our bus network uh, in uh, the Rother Valley above all, and I thank him for uh, the lobbying that he's doing. Owen Thompson. Mr Speaker, we we know the Prime Minister has form in ducking democratic scrutiny at every opportunity, and his party is no stranger to receiving Russian donations, but his repeated refusal to publish the report into Russian interference in UK democracy is unjustifiable and unacceptable. Can the Prime Minister tell us clearly, without bluff and bluster, when the report into Russian interference will be published, why it has been delayed so long, and when will he reconvene the Intelligence and Security Committee? Uh, Mr Speaker, the report will of course be published in the years full when, when the Intelligence and Security Committee is reconstituted and I think he's likely to be thoroughly, his conspiratorial frame of mind is likely to be thoroughly disappointed by the results. Dean Russell. Uh, Mr Speaker, commuters in Watford are fed up with poor rail services, making them late for work in the morning and late at home at night to see their families. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that even new rail franchises that don't deliver cannot assume that they will keep their contracts if they don't sort out the issues as soon as possible? Uh, absolutely, Mr Speaker, and that's why we're putting £48 billion into improving our railways in this part of the infrastructure revolution. But never forget, Mr Speaker, that that lot would renationalise the railways. And when, and when the railways were, na- were nationalised, when the railways were nationalised, a quarter of railway users deserted the network. Where, after privatisation, rail use doubled, Mr Speaker. Yeah. Mr Speaker, last week we lost a political giant in Seamus Mallon. He was an outstanding parliamentarian and a seeker of justice for everyone. One injustice that burned with him until his dying day was the murder of Paul Quinn. Paul was beaten to death by an IRA gang in 2007. They broke every single bone in his body, so much so that his mother couldn't place rosary beads in his hands in his coffin. In the aftermath of that, the now Finance Minister Conor Murphy said that Paul was linked to criminality. That was a lie. 
Will the Prime Minister agree with me that that lie and that the Conor Murphy should retract that lie, pu publicly apologise and give any information he has to the PSNI about Paul's murder? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, well, I, 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 I hear the Honourable Gentleman and I think the whole House will uh, hear the passion with which he spoke about that injustice and I can tell, I can tell him that uh, we will implement the Stormont House Agreement in such a way as to provide certainty uh, for veterans and of course justice for victims as well.